Good morning, storefront community, Chelsea, New York City. How you guys doing this morning? You guys look good. Do you feel good? I'm so excited to share uh, this morning just for a little bit. Um, listen, I didn't know where Pastor Dave was going with that uh, with that analogy, but um, yes, yes, the welcome team knows this morning. Give me a hug. Absolutely. So um, listen, and I hope that this morning that the Lord hugs on us back as we spend some time in scripture this morning. Can we do that this morning? I want to hop right into this. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'm sure they'll put it up on the screen uh, for us as well. We're going to parallel park in the Gospel of John chapter four this morning, the Gospel of John uh, chapter four. Um, we're going to look at a couple of bits and pieces of this story um, and in this uh, chapter, but I want to highlight, if we can do this just for a little while this morning, the Gospel of John chapter four. We'll look at verse number 13 and verse number 14. Can we do that together? Uh, I'm just reading from uh, the uh, New uh, International Version, simplified for us all to understand. And uh, there you'll find uh, these words, and it simply says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Listen, I am grateful to share with you guys this morning. And again, so happy and so privileged to be here. If I can put a tag to this text and share and expound on a thought, I'm going to speak on a topic this morning the thirst is real. The thirst is real. Now, now when I preach, it's a participatory event. So now you got to speak back to me, as a matter of fact, and you can even speak to your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, okay, you guys missed it. Let's try this again. You look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, that's a little bit better. The thirst is real. Can we pray one more time? Lord, we're thirsty for you this morning. We'll speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. Come, Holy Spirit, is our prayer. May we drink from you and never be thirsty again. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Storefront. Chelsea, can I tell you something? I'll tell you a story, uh, something that is a bona fide fact, and I'm sharing something with you, another point of confession, if you will, uh, that is from my current lived experience. And that is this fact. And it simply is, and I see a lot of uh, uh, young babies in a room. So some parents may, may be with me on this. It's fine. He can talk to me. And that is, there is no creature that could be more thirsty or more hungry than a newborn baby. Y'all, I'm trying to tell you something because um, my newborn is all of nine weeks old as of Monday. Well, tomorrow's Monday, so 10 weeks tomorrow, right? That's what 
new parenthood will do to you. And as we're in this voluntary fasting during a season of Lent, God bless you, because I'm involuntarily fasting from sleep right now. And, uh, you know, you're only laughing because I did it to myself. So I understand. I understand. My baby boy, Xavier Joseph Payne, was born on January 9th, 2023. And today, my little man is just over uh, two months old. And, and him, along with my two-year-old, who's a terrorizing two-year-old, I will say, but I love him to death. These boys are the apple of mommy and daddy's eye. Now, if only daddy could be the apple of his eye, because my, my newborn, Xavier, there are moments when Xavier would just cry and cry and cry, and there is just nothing that I could do to stop that crying. Y'all, I just don't understand sometimes. Like, David, I would go to change his diaper, thinking that that would solve the issue. Nope, didn't do a thing. I would bounce around, you know, baby said, I don't want you to sit down for some reason, right? So you bounce around with, with him on the chest and doing skin to skin. Nope, doesn't do a thing. And then I would wise up, figured it out. Here's what I would do. I would go and I would grab the binky. Oh yeah, the infamous pacifier. And I would wise up and figure that, okay, this, this, this is what would do it. And guess what? I didn't do a thing. The wife would share with me that, baby, listen, it's time for him to eat. It's time for Xavier to have some milk. It's time for him to receive nourishment and satisfaction from knowing that his itty bitty belly is full. And y'all, I would think to myself the same thought that I just shared with you as we're looking at this text. And that is, oh man, oh man, for this little, almost 10 week little boy, the thirst is what? Oh, y'all with me this morning. For many Christians, Lent is one of the times of the year where we unsubscribe from the busyness of New York City to listen intently to the infant's cry of our soul. The very essence of our being and if you are anything like me, pastor, preacher, or not, let's set that aside. If you're anything like me, and if we're keeping it all the way real, as, they, as the kids would say, keeping it a buck. That's 100, by the way, 100. Keeping it real, we would acknowledge the very cry of our soul also is, the thirst is, yeah. Y'all caught on real good. Globally, I would assert even this, that the thirst is real because did you know that there has never been a time of global peace? And so we satiate ourselves with the pacifier of the gamification of war and violence. The thirst is real because even when we think about climate, we, 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 we walk and we go through life without a fully 
form theological idea on, on the environment. And so we pacify ourselves in thinking that this is normal and everything's going to be okay, or the next generation will take care of it. The thirst is real. Even here in New York City, can I talk from a parent perspective now? Because even as we hear back in January that there are budget cuts from the DOE from 3K and, and youth and libraries, we pacify ourselves in thinking that that's not my problem. We're in Chelsea, New York City. Can I talk to us for a little bit? Even here in Chelsea, when there's this absorbent need for not just affordable housing, but also equitable housing, and we pacify ourselves with the High Line or most recent development, Little Island. Somebody say, ouch, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And as we are in this sermon series, I picked you up, Pastor Dave, in order to go to places where you don't want to go, you've got to ask yourself some questions that, that, that probably are never asked. And the question that I will ask us this morning is simply this, as we're in this Lenten season, what things, what people, or what places are pacifier placeholders for the real thing? Can I preach this how I feel it this morning? What people, what places, what things are pacifier placeholders for the real thing? As we make our way to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, Jesus simply says this, and that is, as H2O is uh, essential to one's physical life, living water is the same to one's spiritual life. The need to have one's thirst quenched is personified in the Gospel of John chapter 4 this morning. We find ourselves in our text today, after Jesus wraps up that conversation with Nicodemus that Pastor Dave talked about last week. And after John is baptizing the, his disciples and others in Judea, Jesus finds himself this morning in John chapter 4. Stay with me. Keep your Bibles open. As a matter of fact, it tells us that he's leaving, Galilee, he's leaving Judea, and he's headed to Galilee. Now remember, Jesus is from Nazareth, which is in Galilee. Jesus is going home to be with his people. And there are several routes that, that Jesus can take to get there. But in John chapter 4, verse 4, this is very interesting note that the author writes. And, he's, and, and it gives us the indication by which Jesus chooses to go home. It says, very simply, what does it say? That he went through Samaria. Ooh, you read that too fast. You read that too fast. Can we, stay, can we stick right here just for a little bit? Can we do that? He says that we went through Samaria. Now, 
um, whether you've heard this for the the uh, uh, the thousands thousands time, if I can say it, I need some more coffee, or whether you're hearing this for the first time this morning, hear this clearly. And the gospel writer, the author, commonly known uh, historically known as the disciple known as John, he puts in parentheses and lets us know in the discourse that Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman that clues us in on why this is important for us to realize. And and one of the thoughts, one of two, that I wanna share with us this morning is if when we look at the discourse between Jesus and the Samaritan in parentheses, it says, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. But if Jews, even though Jews didn't have any dealings with Samaritans, Chapter 4, verse 4, it still tells us that Jesus went to where? Oh, my goodness. There is one of the ideas that I want to share with you is, uh, 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 we'll go to seminary just for a little bit, this geographical marker and context by which that's incredibly important for us to learn in in this verse this morning. And that is that, you know what, let me back up a little bit. Because as I was growing up, grew up old school, Black Baptist church, right? And so they would always sing this song. And it would say, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. But what's happening in this text is that people don't just come to Jesus, but Jesus goes to them. Jesus went to being a Jew. Let's understand that Jesus is not (laughs) draped in an American flag. He's a Jew from a Palestinian land who's informed by his culture to have no dealings with Samaritans. And even in spite of that, Jesus still goes to the people that are culturally identified as the other. Can we talk about it this morning? Not only that, I have to, and again, we'll, we'll skip around here. A chapter, not only did Jesus go to Samaria in verse number four, but also in verse number 39, Jesus checked into an Airbnb in Samaria and stayed there for how many days? Two. Jesus kicked off his shoes and had meals with the people that culturally was identified whom he should not be around. Storefront, you're picking up what I'm putting down. And my question is this, as we go through this Lenten season, and that is, what would New York City look like? No, 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 we're in Chelsea. What would Chelsea look like if Storefront herself went to places and hung out with people whom were identified as culturally unclean. Mm. How might this neighborhood change and be transformed when we become Christ-like and go to the communities and the enclaves of people that are right here in this neighborhood that have been identified as others left out 
ostracized and go with go to them right just like jesus went to samaria and go to them as i was on the way down here i i had i had to had to insert this parenthetically and that is and as we go to these people in places where we're not identifying people in places as uh, uh, to objectify as a means to an end. Can you, do you hear me clearly? And, and, and as we go to our siblings and brothers and sisters who need to be reminded that Christ has come for them, we go without the license to have a messianic complex. But we go with one thing in mind, and that is to remind them or announce that Jesus has come, is come, and will come again. Can I repeat that question one more time? What might it look like if, if Chelsea, or you can even replace that with, with yourself, what would it look like if I went and hung out to, with people in places whom people or culturally was identified to be unclean. Removing the pacifier of comfort and complacency. Oh, yeah, I didn't know I was going to walk this heavy this morning, did you? It's okay. We're in this together. I'm preaching to myself as well. First thing I wanted to share was this idea of this geographical marker and context. Remember the uh, the Gospel of John, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the Gospel of John was written some uh, almost 50 years later. It was almost, it was the last gospel, canonical gospel that was written, right? And unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, whom shares more than two-thirds of content with one another, right? It's almost like uh, when I was in high school, one of my favorite movies, uh, not favorite, but one of the cool movies I thought that came out was Crash. You guys remember the movie Crash in like 2002 and three or whatnot, right? Looking at the same story, but from different perspectives, right? That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are our guys, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, looking at the same story from three different perspectives. But now we have, if you will, a cousin to them. Uh, uh, this is, again, this is my adaptation on that. So walk, walk with me. Follow the analogy me if, if, if you don't mind. Then we got John, the close cousin, coming along and giving his own perspective on the same thing that Matthew, Mark, and Luke has already given, but some years removed. And, and, and to that point, uh, John, the Gospel of John, all of the Gospels, but specifically since we're in the Gospel of John, was written, and you'll find this in chapter one, when it says that the Gospel was written with one purpose and one purpose in mind, and that was so that they would believe. You follow me? So that they would believe. Who is they? The people that would be able to hear the, uh, the, uh, uh, the words or would eventually now in modern time on iPads and iPhones be able to read God's word. Are you with me? And so as a result of that, there is not only this geographical marker and context that we can pull out of the riches of the Gospel of John, but also in the Gospel of John, because it was written so that they would believe, there's also this 
socio-historical context that I think that if we mine it, it is gold for us this morning as well. Can we do that this morning? No? Okay. All right. All right. We're done. All right. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So we're going to do that this morning. All right. So there's this socio-historical context as well that I think is incredibly important for us to take a look at in the Gospel of John as well. Paint the picture. You guys know the story here. Jesus, again, is traveling, leaving Judea, going to Galilee, makes the decision to go through Samaria. And then we come across this conversation. Jesus meets, not only is he in the land of Samaria, but he meets the Samaritan woman. Can we read a little bit of that discourse? Can we eavesdrop? in that conversation. Jesus, let's go to verse number seven. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus had gone into town to buy a food. The Samaritan woman said to him, here it is. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Ah, remember the parentheses I mentioned earlier? Here it is. For Jews, do not associate with Samaritans. Verse number 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse number 11 and 12, as we read already, sir, uh, or excuse me, this is what I want to highlight, excuse me. Um, sir, the woman said, you have nothing, nothing to draw with and the well is deep. <laughs> Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and livestock? And then verse number 13 and 14, our key today. Um, I want to highlight here, verse number 11 and uh, verse number 12, when a woman says, and and here it is, this historical marker. Let me read those, those verses one more time. And uh, the woman said, Jesus, you ain't got nothing to draw with. Oh, that's not what it says. That's, that's, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Here's the historical marker. Don't read this too fast. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, and also his sons, and it's livestock. Here's this historical marker in this frame of reference. If you've got a great study Bible, you'll find a cross-reference here where it indicates to go back and look at Genesis chapter 33, verse 19. We're not going to do that this morning. This isn't Bible study. You can do that when you get home, okay? Okay. So, but what it does say is that uh, this is the story of when Jacob purchased this land, and on this land was this well by which now this encounter is, this is the setting, this is the set of the location where this interaction now occurs. Are you with me? So what's happening here? And that is this, the woman, our Samaritan woman friend, she is literally having an interaction with the Jesus, the Christ. And because She's not able to let go of a historical marker, a historical fact that she may have learned in Samaritan Sunday school. 
that she's not able to drink from this living water. Can I say this another way? Here is this notion of not being able to accept this new living water because she's held on and is holding on to stale water. Can I ask another question this morning? What old ideas and habits and traits and beliefs are we holding on to that is stale water? that we can't let go of or that we refuse to let go of, thereby not being able to receive living water. Somebody say, ouch, 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 ouch. okay, okay, it's so not just me. Walking on my own toes as well. It's ironic that I say this and, um, used to be a social media junkie, forgive me. Um, and so one of my memories popped up this morning from a few years ago, made this post or uh, a reel or whatever it is, whatever it's called now, story. There, it's called a story. Um, and asked the question or says something to the effect of um, um, daylight savings, right? It's daylight savings and no one can give an explanation, a definitive explanation of the, re of the origin and the reason why we still have daylight savings. And just like that, trying to make this stick. I'm trying to make it sticky, walk, walk, work, work with me. And just like we hold on to this tradition of daylight savings, by which it only we only lose an hour of sleep. Like what? Like somebody explain that to me. Why? Why? I don't understand. I'm already not sleeping. You mean to tell me I lose another hour of sleep? <laughs> Holding on to old historical ideas and facts that perhaps used to serve a purpose during World War I and World War II, whichever it is. I understand. I follow. I know. But today in 2023, Still holding on to something that serves no purpose. Holding on to stale water. Not able to receive living water. I will call, I will call an hour, extra hour of sleep living water. And I'm joking, I'm joking. Because she's holding on to this stale water, she she's, uh, uh, doesn't understand that the fulfillment of Jacob the ancestor whom she references is in the person that she's talking to, even in that moment. Pacifiers of our past. Moments and past ways of thinking and past ways of living. However that's sticky, let it stick and give it to Jesus. Pacifiers of our past. And I want to round this out with, with, with this observation as well. I said two. I got, I got a third one. Sorry. Um, as I mentioned, I grew up in an old Baptist church, so three points. But just observation, just observation. 
And this is in verse number 42 of uh, verse number 42. And I thought this was just incredibly profound. And I hope this sticks for you, storefront community, whether you're visiting or whether this is your first time here. And that is this. Let me read it. It says, then they said to the woman, home, comma, I got to get you up to speed. So Jesus has the conversation with the woman. The woman, I, and I didn't want to get into this today. This will, I will be here for another 30 minutes, and I don't want to do that to you. You lost an hour of sleep. I understand. But ensues this conversation where, as we already read the beginning of it, where Jesus uh, 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 understands and knows this woman more than she thinks, goes, and Jesus goes and says, yes, go return to your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus goes, you're right, because the man that you're with, your fourth or fifth husband right now. Then she goes back to her hometown and tells the people, come and see a man that knows me more than I know myself. And we'll skip down to verse number 42. This is the people of the, people of the town of Samaria. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. The idea and the thought that I want to share is this, and that is storefront. When we show up in the community of Chelsea and her enclaves and the subcultures therein, and we show up without a means to an end. We show up being the personification of love. And it's because that we love this neighborhood. And it's because that you love this neighborhood. Right? Good. That the natural reaction is that you're able to meet their needs because you spent time with them. Jesus stayed for two whole days and we're with them. I love what you all are up to. Not only is storefront your name, but storefront is the, the means by which you operate as well at the neighborhood storefront. Could not be more happy and proud of this church in this ministry. And as you continue to take up root in this community and in your schools and at your jobs and the companies that you lead and the businesses that, that, that you direct and the teams that, you, that, that follow you and that you lead, people will no longer have to take your word for it. But because people have done life with you and because people have experienced that same love, people, people will be like, nope, storefront, nope, don't need to hear it anymore. Don't need to hear it. 
I no longer need to hear from your own mouth because I've been able to experience the same love that you preach about. One of my favorite poems, I quoted too many sermons, but it just fits every single time. It's by Langston Hughes. What up, Uptown? I'm from Harlem. And he says this, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one would show me than merely tell me the way. In storefront, that's what's happening here in this text. Jesus, he didn't skirt around. He didn't cross the street. He didn't decide not to go through that neighborhood. But he showed up, and he went straight to them. And was able to identify those historical markers and show up and, 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 and convey that he was the fulfillment of that historical marker personified. Storefront, my prayer in this Lenten season is that our thirst is quenched by the living water. No longer by the pacifier of busyness of New York City. No longer by the hustle and the bustle. That is so ironically popular to be busy. But that this Lenten season, the rest of this Lenten season, is a moment we're able to pause and listen to the cry of your very soul. And that is that the thirst is real. So, Spirit of the living God, we pray that you fill us again and again and that you remind us that you are the living water. We pray that you continue to have your way in our hearts and in our minds. And we pray that we continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus May we be able to hear you a little bit more clearly. May we be able to experience you as the people of Samaria, Samaria said, not just by their, from hearsay, but may we be able to experience you for ourselves. That's even what Job said in Job chapter 42. And that's my prayer over this community. where he says, Lord, I've heard about you with the hearing of my own ears, but now I see you with my own eyes. Storefront, may Chelsea be able to see because of you. 
May the scales fall off of their eyes. Because you are here in this community. With one goal and one goal only. And that is to be love personified. Seeking renewal, not in another project, but in the very lives of people and of <laughs> your neighbors. Right here in this block. In Jesus' name, somebody shout, amen.